Unglhani on politics this week. On a trolley, the SNP's record a waiting times. Off their trolley, the scandal of a fishy ferry contract and glory, Glasgow's regeneration and, fingers crossed, in tune for global recognition. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Gulhani on Politics. I'm Dr. Sandesh Gulhani. In Scotland, waiting time figures for hospital accident and emergency departments have hit a record low. NHS staff and patients need urgent support. But despite promises made a year ago to tackle the crisis, the SNP government's health secretary, Humza Youssef, has no answers, is out of his depth, and a mounting list of record-breaking failures is putting lives at risk. Last week, I led the Scottish Conservatives debate in the Scottish Parliament. One year ago today, on September the 22nd, we debated a motion on taking action on a crisis in the ambulance service and the worst accidents and emergency waiting times on record. Given the reality of staffing levels on the ground, I implored the Cabinet Secretary back then that our hard-working NHS staff and indeed the Scottish people need to know what to expect as winter approached. Well, here we are again, still spiralling out of control. In the last week ending September 19th, 2021, 74.4% of patients at A&E were seen within four hours. A year later, last week, this had dropped to 63.5%, the worst on record. Elsewhere in the system, cancer waiting times are also at their lowest on record, from 84% in June last year to 76% now. So much under the SNP government's control is going from bad to worse. Vulnerable children are unable to access mental health services with over a quarter not seen by a specialist within 18 weeks. Waiting times for routine treatments are mounting. Over 10,000 Scots have been waiting for two years for treatment, an eightfold increase on last year. Hospital delayed discharge at a record high. Ambulance waiting times over two hours have increased ninefold in four years. And yet the Cabinet Secretary was patting himself on the back just yesterday. We understand the pandemic has had a significant impact on the delivery of health services, but the fact is that the situation has been getting worse in 2022, not better, despite the pandemic receding. Many issues also predate the pandemic, such as staff shortages, which are the result of successive years of poor SNP workforce planning. One year on from our September 21 debate, our amazing nurses, doctors, allied healthcare professionals and paramedics remain overworked and undervalued and at breaking point. Yet, one year on, the same SNP minister remains in charge, clinging on to his flimsy NHS recovery plan. The stats don't lie. This is a record-breaking cabinet secretary. The SNP delivery personified. The stats are shocking. And so are some of the stories from patients who've needed urgent medical attention. Yesterday evening, I spoke to Norrie, Norrie's mother is 96 and has pneumonia. Norrie's mum was taken to her Ayrshire Hospital A&E department last Thursday at 8 o'clock. The department was incredibly busy, too busy. Still, Norrie's mum was triaged within 90 minutes. The staff were clearly doing their very best, but let's face it, they can't conjure up more nurses or hospital beds. And there were no spare beds, none at all. Norrie's mum spent 40 hours on a trolley in a busy corridor, cold, 
and beside automatic doors that opened and closed every couple of minutes, Nori's mum was frightened and crying. She was breathless and disorientated, all alone because family were not allowed to be with her. On Saturday afternoon, 40 hours after she first presented, she was moved to the clinical assessment unit where she is now. And I can say that she is beginning to feel a bit better. Now, can any of us imagine how we would feel if this happened to our own granny or mum? And Norrie really knows about healthcare. He's been a GP for 40 years, and he cannot accept that this is what awaits his patients and his family. But Norrie says, sadly, his mum's experience is not an exception. And he says it's not the fault of frontline staff who go, who go above and beyond. Health is a devolved matter. The SNP has been in government for 15 years. The people of Scotland deserve to have dignity and respect while vulnerable. Mindful of last Thursday's First Minister's question, I asked Norrie if it gave him a measure of comfort to know that Scotland's waiting times were better than elsewhere. His response, well, I can't repeat the words. So let's just say comparisons like this are meaningless and unhelpful for the people of Scotland suffering. Norrie does have a question, though, for the Cabinet Secretary and the First Minister. He asks if they agree that in Scotland today, it is morally abhorrent for his 96-year-old mother to lie on a trolley in a cold corridor for 40 hours. Humza Youssef is the fifth SNP minister to be in charge of health, a straight line of SNP MSP since Nicola Sturgeon held the position from May 2007 until September 2012. After years of SNP mismanagement, dedicated NHS staff are burning out. Workforce planning is so poor, nursing vacancies are up 25% in a year and now stand at over 6,000. The root cause of many of the issues with A&E and routine treatment waiting times is a lack of hospital beds. Hospitals are getting blocked up because the number of beds occupied per day due to delayed discharge is at a record high. This is because so many beds are taken up by people who are medically fit for discharge and they themselves are desperate to go home. The SNP's then Health Secretary, Shona Robertson, promised to eradicate delayed discharge in 2015, but since then, there have been over 10,000 years worth of delayed days spent in hospital. And there are also fewer beds in NHS Scotland than eight years ago. The NHS recovery plan is failing to have a demonstrably positive effect on waiting times. It's not working. Let's admit it and let's rewrite it ahead of this winter. From hospital waiting times to waiting years for a ferry. Back in October 2015, the then Scottish Government's Transport Minister, Derek Mackay, proudly announced the signing of a contract for a state-owned shipyard to build two ferries. That will be returning commercial shipbuilding to the River Clyde. Fantastic news. Well, that's a great announcement. Incidentally, on stage with Minister Mackay, applauding with gusto was the then up-and-coming SNP star, Humza Youssef. The trouble is, this contract has been embroiled in controversy ever since. To tell us more about an SNP ferry fiasco, I spoke with Graham Simpson, who was leading the Scottish Conservatives' charge to hold the SNP to account. 
tell us why this is such a big problem and such a big scandal. This has been going on for years. Uh, the, the ferries are five years late. That's the two ferries that are being built at the Ferguson shipyard. They're over two and a half times the original budget and that has just increased by around 70 million uh, this week. And what's come out this week is that it looks as though the original contract given to Ferguson's was rigged. So they became a shoo-in for the job. They were given information and help that other bidders didn't get. That is a scandal. It could potentially involve the police. It could see the Scottish government being sued by some of the other bidders for that original contract. And all the while, islanders are, are suffering. They're the people that matter in this, as well as the general taxpayers who are losing out. But islanders are without a reliable ferry service. Well, t- tell me, so you said that it was over budget. What type of numbers are we talking about right now? We're talking about a project that would originally have seen two ferries built for just over £90 million. And now we're up to around about £250 million for two ferries. And so we, we've got the overruns. So how, how delayed are we? We are delayed by, in the case of one of the ferries, by six years. Six years? Yeah. And I think I remember Jamie talking about how the fleet itself is ageing and is struggling. So that's uh, Jamie Green, who represents, it was part of his region, uh, Aaron. So he's been raising it for a number of years. He used to be our transport spokesman. I'm now the transport spokesman. The fleet, the fleet is aging. This is the Calmac fleet I'm talking about. It is aging, and that's why it's become unreliable. A series of breakdowns all throughout the year. But islanders are particularly worried now, as we go into the winter, that services are just going to get get worse and worse. This really impacts on people's lives. People can't get to work. They can't get to hospital appointments. That will interest you as a as a, as a GP. They can't access basic services. Kids can't get to school. It really affects people's day-to-day lives. And actually, people are starting to leave the islands. So it's affecting the economy of the islands. It's really, really serious. Well, So I've seen uh, on Twitter and other places a few SNP uh, MSPs liking posts saying the ferries don't really matter. What do you have to say to them? Well, the ferries, the ferries matter. Yeah, this is about this is about public transport. That's what the ferries are to people who live on the islands. So it's the equivalent for you and I who live on the mainland of buses and trains. Yeah, this is the way people get about. So they matter. And if you don't have a reliable ferry service, things grind to a halt and people's lives are affected. If you can't get to a hospital appointment, that's really really serious. I think if we we look at the ferry scandal as, as a whole people will always say well what would we do about it what 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 would the scottish conservatives want done about it and how would we do it differently so if we're starting from now then we think that the the setup uh, with the the ferries where you have uh, transport scotland you've got the government agency cmail you've got calmac who only operate the ferries, they don't own them, and you've also got the top of that tree, the Transport Minister. 
that's a really clunky system and it's not working. So I think that that needs to be streamlined. We think there needs to be a decision made on the West Coast contract, whereby we, we don't think it should automatically go to CalMac. Uh, it should be opened up. Um, we could allow other other operators in. You could even look at uh, breaking up that contract. The government's ruled that out. So, in effect, they're saying they like one big monopoly. The big monopoly that's been failing islanders. Glasgow is a fantastic city. Once the industrial force of 19th and 20th century Britain, Glasgow has undergone a transformation though in recent years. The city now has a legendary music scene, an exciting calendar of world-class festival and events, great universities and colleges, a growing financial sector, and regeneration is today's buzzword as old and neglected districts are being transformed. To find out more about what's happening in Glasgow and how this will impact the city's economy, I've come to the iconic George Square to meet with Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of the Glasgow Chamber of Commerce. The first thing I want to talk about, and I, maybe people will think that this is trivial, but the first thing I want to talk about is Eurovision, uh, because we are down to one of the last two. Yep. Uh, so we're up against Liverpool. Um, can, now, it's not trivial. Can you explain why it's not trivial? And could you also explain why Glasgow is the place to hold it? Well, uh, Glasgow has now developed a very strong track record in, in holding complex events. And perhaps for those who are uh, less familiar with Eurovision and maybe only tune in to the, the, the evening of its main final event, uh, the Eurovision exercise, the whole Eurovision event is a big festival. It lasts for uh, at least a week in terms of the you know, visitors into the city and filling our hotels, filling our airport, filling our restaurants and uh, shops, and uh, communicating the role that Glasgow plays to a much wider international audience as a centre of music, as a centre of culture and creative industries, but also as a good place to visit. Now, Glasgow's track record in delivering these major events is proven. We, we obviously, we just had COP26 uh, back in November, but we've got um, a track record of delivering complex sporting events, uh, like the European Championships in 2018, the Commonwealth Games in 2014. We had our role in the Euros in 2020. Uh, and you can go back and find similar kinds of events in the cultural industries uh, that we are, uh, had a prominent success with, right back to uh, the 1990s city of culture. So Glasgow is very well known internationally for using culture and sport as a means of creating uh, a dynamic and momentum for growing both the tourism industry, but uh, but also for growing some of those key sectors like uh, the creative industries that are so important to uh, a successful urban centre. So, you know, looking at Eurovision, it's going to be generating money for Glasgow. Oh, and undoubtedly. I mean, we're not saying it's, it's cheap to put on. It's a complex uh, organisational challenge. But in terms not just of the visitors on the day or on the week or on the weeks, really, of the... Eurovision activity in the city and the extent to which that generates uh, all of the economic impact that comes from those visitor uh, pounds. It's also the presentation of Glasgow as a, as a future choice. 
uh, not just for individual visitors, but for the next conference, or indeed for that matter, possibly even the next inward investment. It's part of positioning Glasgow as a serious uh, urban competitor in all those markets that you compete with other cities for. Attracting talent, attracting visitors, attracting investment, encouraging trade and exports. These kind of events are part of that package of how you position Glasgow internationally. So let's just be absolutely clear. Uh, from what you're telling me, Glasgow has the skills, Glasgow has the talent, Glasgow has the BBC right here, uh, and it's also got a proven track record to put on events like this. So clearly, the number one bidder. Well, we, th we think we are. Uh, it's helpful that the BBC Pacific Key Studios are right across from the Scottish Events Campus, uh, and the Scottish Events Campus has proven its worth uh, in uh, the last decade. Uh, not least since the development of the hydro, and that will, that's, that's been a, an absolutely enormous success for us. But also, I think that track record, COP26 was a phenomenally complicated uh, project to deliver uh, with extraordinary security requirements given the heads of state that were going to be in town and delivered during uh, the pandemic, when the pandemic was still uh, uh, not quite at its peak, but it was still a pretty challenging a task to ensure that everybody uh, that, were, that was there as a delegate was safe and that the city as a whole uh, was managing that project safely. So that was a hugely complicated task and it was delivered, given that you might remember COP26 was delayed by a year, uh, the actual planning for delivery on that, the date of uh, the conference in November 21 was very short term, timescales, very short timescales. So Glasgow can do it. Um, there's no question about it, uh, our track record, so I, I believe we are uh, number one in the, in the race. Uh, so to move track a little bit, um, Brumadal, so that is a historic area of our city and lots of people think that it's uh, a bit forgotten. How can we improve this part of it? Well, first of all, Brumadal has always been a district that's largely about work. It's about, um, a, that was a trading centre, warehousing, it was all about the servicing of so much of that international trade that Glasgow was famous for when we were at our trading peak. Um, but Brumelow has actually played a role in the last 20 years in the repositioning of Glasgow. It's only, I'd say, about two-thirds through its development requirement. Uh, we've built the International Financial Services District uh, pretty much from scratch in the Brumelow. That is where so many of the new jobs have been emerging, not just for Glasgow, but for the wider city region in Glasgow. So all the big names that we are now getting familiar with, JP Morgan, um, Morgan Stanley, Barclays, uh, and so forth, and, and before that, the, the issuers, uh, those were all based in, in Brumelow. Um, on the back of, I think it was a 50 million investment in broadband technology with British Telecom, and a fairly substantial marketing uh, of the skills pipeline that Glasgow has coming out of its colleges and universities. And we have therefore created uh, a very successful um, financial services offer that, uh, as I say, has now got most of the big names that you might imagine you'd want to have in the city in the financial services are here. Well, just on that, so Barclays was developing a trade city, uh, and that, yeah, that's a huge coup for Glasgow. Um, what do you think that meant and means to Glasgow, but also the confidence it gives? What we're building on here, though, is a long track record 
of the universities and colleges producing the talent that is so much in demand around the world. It's what is bringing uh, those big financial institutions into the city because uh, we've been overproducing financial and business talent in Glasgow for, uh, for a couple of decades. That's, you know, Barclays, if you like, is the, is the zenith uh, of that 20-year strategy. We're now, if you like, we can say we've delivered what we wanted to in the first round of the International Financial Services District. Now it's time to plan phase two. The thoughts of Stuart Patrick, Chief Executive of Glasgow Chamber of Commerce. Now you might be wondering about the background noise. This is the buzz of activity at the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham. We'll be bringing you a special report from the conference on Wednesday, but we'll end this regular episode on a Scottish theme with Scottish Conservative Party leader Douglas Ross. It's important down here at the UK Party Conference in Birmingham to set out our priorities for Scotland. Clearly the challenges Scotland is facing at the moment are no different from other parts of the United Kingdom, but we are hampered in many respects by a nationalist government who continue to prioritise their plans for separation over plans to help people, businesses and communities. So what I was outlining in my speech was looking at you know, my own background getting into politics and how people in all parts of the country should have the same opportunities. So we have uh, significant postcode lotteries that I think we should use the powers uh, and the levers within the Scottish Parliament to improve. So for example, we announced new policies uh, in terms of creating a national college for Scotland. So people in any part of Scotland can go on online um, and uh, take modular uh, studies to uh, increase their qualifications to get better jobs opportunities. It shouldn't just be for those uh, who are able to physically get uh, into college or university. Uh, I want to ensure those opportunities are available for everyone in Scotland, wherever they live, from the most remote and rural areas to the most urban built-up areas. Uh, another policy uh, we've announced uh, down here at conferences is our rent-to-own scheme. Uh, this is to help people fulfil their ambition to own their own home. Many people are stuck in the rental market, they can't uh, own their own home, so we put forward a policy where over five years uh, they would enter into a contract with the uh, owner of a property, they would pay rent for those five years, uh, but at the same time the government would pay 25% towards the cost of a mortgage. So after the five years they have an opportunity uh, to buy their own home as well. So these are uh, policies that people can aspire to, it's to ensure that all parts of Scotland uh, are covered and I think we heard from the reception today they are popular policies that would really uh, improve the lives of, of people uh, right across Scotland. And certainly actually a very popular policy about buying homes because rental is a problem. In Glasgow uh, students aren't, aren't having accommodation that they can rent but also this rent control bill that, that's coming in uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, on the issue with students, you've done a great job highlighting that in the Scottish Parliament uh, and your questions to ministers on that, and it's a really important issue uh, to continue to uh, scrutinise and hold the ministers to account over. Um, but in terms of the policies that are being put forward by the SNP and the Green uh, administration, which you and I will be voting on this week, it's very clear that their rent control bill uh, is going to be unworkable. It's going to uh, have the opposite effect. We know that landlords and charities and organisations are already warning the dire consequences that people will face if the government pushes this through, as we expect them to uh, at record speed this week. We're going to have to suspend the standing orders of the Scottish Parliament to debate and vote on this issue, and members will only have an hour 
uh, to look at the legislation before we start voting on amendments. So I think it's been done in totally the wrong way by the SNP Scottish Government and it's absolutely going to be uh, counterproductive. Uh, and indeed, I think the Scottish Government, even at this late stage, should listen to what key stakeholders are telling them um, and uh, look very closely at what they're planning to do because it won't uh, help people. Uh, it could actually uh, reduce the number of properties that are available to rent going forward. Actually, you touched on a really important point there about the speed with which it's going through. Why is it a problem that it's going through this quickly? Well, this is the Scottish Government saying they need emergency legislation, but they could have tabled this far sooner. Uh, we know that the consultation has been non-existent. Indeed, Miles Briggs, our Shadow Cabinet Secretary dealing with this area, has had so much feedback from organisations that he's gone after because the Scottish Government haven't uh, sought their views. Uh, and that's really uh, poor, uh, and it leads to really poor legislation. And that's what I'm worried about. The effects of this rushed legislation is going to be felt for some time. Uh, and we as politicians, particularly as the main opposition, party and the Scottish Conservatives will do our best to amend this legislation but we know the SNP with the Greens uh, use their votes in Holyrood to railroad these things through uh, and try and shut down any opportunity for debate, discussion and in my view improvement of this legislation. Well, well certainly you know an hour to look at the bill and then put your amendments in and then the stages of the bill come through very quickly so by doing that what essentially are the Scottish Government doing to the scrutiny process? Yeah, well, they're trying to minimise it. Uh, they're trying to uh, reduce the opportunities that opposition politicians, government politicians, if they were ever to stand up and actually uh, criticise their own government, um, I think looking at this would have to re reflect the views of their constituents uh, because this is having a big impact. I know in my own area, the Highlands and Islands, people have been in touch with me. You've raised issues uh, that affect people in Glasgow. So these are uh, rules and regulations they are trying to implement that will have a huge effect on the housing market, on the rental sector, right across Scotland, and we need to do something about it. We need to get the government to listen uh, on this issue, but at the moment it looks like only the Scottish Conservatives are the ones that are providing that scrutiny and hoping to uh, amend this legislation, which, if it is implemented as planned, is going to have a hugely detrimental impact on many, many people. That's all for this week's Gulhani on Politics. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and follow me Dr. Sanj Gulhani on social media and look out for our special coverage from this year's Conservative Party Conference. Thank you for listening.